Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Shoot the defense. The best podcast in the world. We're out here. I keep saying Henry's a forward. Richie, who's the best striker you've played against? Henry. <laughs> and the fact that we are now taking our country and put our country on the map of world soccer, being the first African nation, the third world nation in the whole world to win an Olympic gold medal in soccer, you know, it was, um, it was unbelievable. If you're going to take the time to go and get a pig head and break my locker open and wrap my clothes in it, I send in a different message to me. I've had to protect my family from going out into the street because you'll have random people that just come and abusing them racially. Even some old school managers who are British, they still have the same racial undertones like the man in the street who they're trying to condemn. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Defence. I'm Mike Pieri and this is another author interview and book review. Um, today's guest has worked with some of the most talented and respected players of their age in the country, including working in men's first team recruitment for a professional club. With a background in sports psychology and a deep interest in football and talent development, he has researched football talent hotbeds in England exhaustively, speaking to experts and some of the most influential people in his field. We'll be discussing his book, Something in the Water, which is there, um, and which uncovers the secrets of the football talent hotbeds in England. The book takes a look behind the scenes of the traditional working class northern hotbeds and the emergence of South London as a new as a new school hotbed. Dear viewers, it is my pleasure to welcome Callum Murray to the show. Callum, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Um, want to dive straight um, straight in and talk about the book. Um, it is a fascinating read, by the way, and thanks for writing it. Um, before we explore in detail what is contained in the book, can you, in a couple of sentences, tell our viewers what is what is a football hotbed and why you wrote the book? Yeah, so a football hotbed, in my opinion, is a an optimal learning environment would be sort of how I would sum it up in, in, a, in a quick sentence and sort of an area that is able to produce sort of elite level footballers um, sort of regularly, I think would be how I would describe a hotbed. What made me write the book is being from Heighton and maybe seeing that there was a bit of a hotbed here. I kind of had an idea of what a hotbed might have been and maybe that I was living in one. And then I sort of, I seen a bit of a, a theme in football at the moment of maybe South London potentially being a hotbed with the sort of players that were, were were coming up. I read an article in the Times, I think it was, or The Guardian on the Kinetic Foundation, who I speak about in the book and the work they were doing. And I thought, okay, maybe there's something in this. I decided to dig a bit a bit deeper. And then, yeah, that's sort of how the, the book was born. Excellent. Um, right at the outset, um, a premise that does set the tone for the book is the I guess an idea of coincidence that having talent, the nature argument, can somehow be helped by where you grow up. So the nurture argument. And from here, you introduce us to the notion of football hotbeds, as you just said. And we're taken on a journey of discovery of research-led conclusions, as well as um, tangible real-life examples. And the question I want to ask is, did you yourself have a, a preconceived view on what, make, what makes a footballer before 
undertaking the extensive research you did undertake and um, the book, um, or was writing the book part of your discovery too? I think it's probably a mix of both. I think with sort of my work background, I maybe had an idea of what might make a footballer or the best attributes a footballer might need, and both psychologically and sort of technically as well. Um, so I think there was definitely a bit of that. Again, growing up and where I grew up, I kind of had maybe this idea of how the environment might affect things. But for sure, I mean, the research was quite deep and exhaustive. It was, I think, as I've said, maybe four years around in, in, in the making. So I think maybe that's in the sort of autobiography, maybe on, on some of, on the book. Um, so it, there was definitely a lot of research into it. So I, for sure, learned a lot th through that process too. And yeah, not only what makes a, a footballer, but how to make a footballer as well. It was obviously sort of hard some of the themes that, that I was able to learn myself and, and, and take forward. And of course, there's, there's lots more around the book as well. I, not everything can go into the book, everything that you, that you learn. And yeah, there's lots more outside of it that I've been able to discover and, and learn too. No, thanks for that. Um, many of the chapters you draw on, and we, you just mentioned it, lots and lots of research and you present findings. And and for me, that, that's manner from heaven. I certainly appreciate the research that's presented, the way it's presented, and how you use it to um, to weave the narrative. Um, but some questions on this. Firstly, it to me, it's not a run-of-the-mill football book that talks to players, managers, evokes memorable matches or tournaments, and tells a story or part of history. To me, it's more than that. And it is a book that's well-researched, uses many sources and uses research in a scientific way to draw conclusions. Did you ever feel that this would affect who would read the book? Or was it part of the thought process anyway, or you just didn't care? Yeah, I think it was definitely something I was conscious of in, in the research and the writing of it more specifically. My background in, in psychology and sort of my academic background there sort of led me to always want to research things properly. <clears throat> I'm writing to sort of like a master's level and university level um, in, in psychology sort of. I've always had an appreciation for wanting to research the science and then sort of link it link it to, to theory and real world. I did make a conscious effort though in writing the book to try and make sure that it didn't sort of miss the lay person. I didn't want it to to sort of alienate anybody. So I, I did try to try and link the theory as much as possible and, and try and sort of put it into real world terms. Obviously, there's some chapters that are maybe more what you might say academic than others. In more just sort of research based, for example, uh, the population sort of density type chapter, the talent environment. A lot of that is sort of scientific uh, research. And yeah, I do try and link it to, to real world as much as possible. But hopefully, hopefully people can, as you say, maybe appreciate the research that, that, that's gone into it and sort of understand it and how it's sort of linked to real world Um issues or, or or maybe solutions in this case i mean i, I don't think the book ca can tell the story it's trying to tell without the research and mm -hmm. um on that theme in chapter three you talk about population size population density the accessibility of facilities given what you found out and what you present do you believe that there is a perfect community where footballers can emerge perfect would be a tough one i'm not sure that it would be a perfect environment maybe south london is at the moment, as close to perfect as we could have it. I just think there's, with things like the population, size and density, there, there definitely seems to be a bit of a Goldilocks principle mm -hmm. where you just want to be in that sort of right space. 
that's not to say, and I think I mentioned this in the book, it's not to say that if you were from a community that was outside of that range that you would have no chance because I think that would that wouldn't be fair to say. But there does definitely seem to be that little that little Goldilocks sort of size of community. And then I think the most important thing underlying the density and population size was the access to facilities. Um, you could have the perfect population size and density, but if they've got nowhere to, to play, then um, it's, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, I think that chapter is, is very much almost like a bit of a surface level chapter that is kind of just bubbling under underneath all of the other themes, I think. That's all to help them tick. I think that that's what I would say in terms of the making a perfect community. I think it needs to have those um those themes to it and and and, and that correct size, the correct density and accessibility. But then I think that helps bring those other themes that I speak out in the book to the fore to really create talent. On on the same theme again, um and finally on, on the research part. Chapter six is my favourite chapter. This, for me, there's lots of good writing there, lots of good research, and you draw on lots of sources too. Um, in your view, is diversity of culture and experiences a prerequisite for a football hotbed to emerge and be successful? And what differences did, did you see between South London and, and Highton, where which you know very well? Yeah, for sure. I think there's it is needed, especially now as I talk about with the changes that we've seen in English football you would want to sort of reflect the top level of English football, elite football as much as possible in that community. So obviously 30, 40, 50 years ago, as I speak out in the book, those type of northern towns were reflecting English football at the highest level. It was, it was very sort of English and not really diverse. So I think that worked for them at, at the time. Obviously with the, with the changes now we've seen in, in top level football in England, and for the better, and as I talk about in the book, Having a community that would reflect that definitely helps and having that diversity of culture, diversity of football, diversity of almost like genetics as well too. too. I think it's definitely something to look at, but having that diversity there would for sure help, I think. And that is one of the, I think, the main sort of reasons why South London has been able to do what it has been able to do over and above what the likes of Highton or the North East, those towns in Newcastle and stuff have been able to do in the past. It's that I think that's how South London sort of kicked on over this last 10, 15 years. So, so do you think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see um, far more footballers from, from South London, from the South, rather than the traditional um, hotbeds in, 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 the, in the North West? I would think it would make sense for that to happen, although I do believe that the, these Northern towns, I think there will be more diversity in these places over the next five, ten years, just with I think with the way the world is going at the moment, I think there will be more sort of immigration into these places. And I think that that will help. And hopefully that is able to to reignite these hotbeds again. I think I think that is maybe just a piece that is, is missing almost. Yeah. I have noticed that in in Heighton more recently, it, it has been getting more diverse. Um, not to the level of what South London will be by no means, but it, it, I can notice myself say over my lifetime is now more, it's more diverse now than it has been so I think that can only help Fair enough um, as you know um, I grew up in South London it's one of the reasons why you know I was drawn to the book you know grew up in Elephant and Castle and can very much relate to much of your prose <clears throat> I can see the places you talk about I've been there so reading it allowed me moments to reminisce 
there is an interesting thread throughout the book about the physical environment where footballers emerge. Um, you start talking about the favelas in Brazil, the pockets in Paris, and of course, and of course, the English estate. Um, I want to fast forward to the end of the book where you pose a question, um, quote, is the academy system too easy, end quote. Um, it should provoke further debate. And given what the rest of the book talks about, I want to ask you, have we gone too far in that direction in terms of the academy system? Are we in danger of losing um, what the English estate gives us? Or, or is it all part of the same system? It's all part of the melting pot. Yes, I, I think it's almost like twofold. I think the effect, yes. Yeah, so I think the academy system has gone too far in being too easy for, for the children who are there. Through the research and stuff that I've done, I've found that people have told me that it's kind of too easy and it's, it's going sort of too much one way. As society maybe is, you know, it's society nowadays that is maybe not too comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, everything's sort of a bit too easy, a bit sort of safe almost. And I don't think that's doing people any favours. I don't think it's doing footballers any favours to, to be in this sort of environment that is too easy. I do understand it though. And it's got to be put in context of the players have got to be safe, the children have got to be safe, or at least things which, which makes sense. But maybe as it has gone sort of too far over in that balance and through the research that I've done you know I would be able to you know I think help these academies sort of maybe readdress that balance and, and ways in which they can do that so I think that's the first one that is maybe has gone too easy the second one I think would be that the time that the children are spending at, at the academy sort of takes away the time from being in the estates and sort of living an actual childhood or whatever and um, if, if they are at the academy for nights a week so I think you're getting sort of a bit of like a double whammy effect in terms of they're in this sort of really easy environment for most of the week, but then they're also not, by being there, they're not being able to get that estate life and, and those life experiences, which I think is, is is an issue. As well, you've sort of, underneath that, you've got the race to the bottom and the children being taken into academies at, you know, four or five or whatever it might be, which yeah, you, you are almost taken away there their childhood and chance to you know to grow and develop and learn and you know as I say in in the book play those sort of black games as it were and, and be able to, to push boundaries and be uncomfortable and find themselves in those situations where they've got to kind of learn the way out of them and build that resilience so yeah I, I do think the academy system is probably too easy but I, I, I understand it and I understand that you can't just completely sort of throw it away but Hopefully, with with the research and the book and the research that I've I've done, you know, we will be able to help academy sort of re readdress that balance and see how we can sort of make things a bit different to hopefully create better footballers, but also better people as well, and they'd be more more equipped if they were to make it as a footballer. Um, at, you know, 16, 17, 18, Hopefully, they would have the resilience to go on and and do other things. Yeah, and that's an important point. Um, if, in, if, in your opinion, based on your research, and you're obviously more versed in it than I am, the pendulum has swung too much that way, are we in danger of losing that 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 typical English footballer, that Englishness? So, I would, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Man United fan, so Wayne Rooney, and I know you're an Everton fan, is he the last of that breed? Hope not, but... Yeah, well, I think we, we would, would say hopefully not, and there will be more, but... At the moment, it looks like he is the last of that that mould of sort of that aggressive, tough street footballer who who is also able to do like magical things. As I say in the book, he you 
I think we haven't seen anyone since we really like that. I think Phil Foden is kind of that type of street type player, but without maybe that sort of aggression and real sort of hardiness. But I, I think with the way it's going, we would lose that sort of street player and sort of real sort of rough and ready footballer. You know, the, with the academy system, I don't know, but there's definitely a debate and arguments as to whether they are just creating sort of robotic players who are great at doing these drills for three hours a night for 10, 12 years. And sort there, of... there, there's also that evolution in coaching as well, isn't it, I guess? <clears throat> um, I, I'm not sure if this is possible, but I'm going I'm I'm to you know, set you a task. Could you rank in importance of traits you talk about in the book that help create the football hotbeds? I mean, for me reading it, one vital aspect, in my opinion, was how um, culturally important sport is to the estate. And mm. it is that mindset that everything else feeds off. Um, what, in your opinion, are the most important elements that allow a football hotbed to be one? I mean, you talk about community spirit, pride, the working class fight. Um, what, 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 in your opinion, are maybe one or two really important aspects of that that are vital in order for a football hotbed to emerge and be successful? Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a great question, and it, it's a tough one because I think they are all kind of inter interlinked in their own way. As I said before, I think like I think like the population size and density, they're kind of bubbling away underneath. You might not even notice that, but it's sort of doing something. I think it's the same with the culture and having that culture for sports, or if you know, it might be culture for football, culture for tennis, and it might be tennis or whatever it might be. You need to have that sort of culture there as well as sort of like a bit of an overarching theme but I think it would be hard to suggest that the you know maybe the most important ones are the actual the learning environment and how they are training and how they are learning as well so you know that the street football and the cage football I would have to say that would be a massive one in terms of I think that is just helping create better better footballers I'm not going to say it's the most important one and you know cage football isn't the be all and end all but I think in terms of sort of creating the footballer in that sort of environment with those things sort of bubbling away, I think that that really helps. Again, I think you there does seem to be a notion that you need this community spirit as well. I think that it, from the people I spoke to and, and the research I, I was doing, you need to have that community sort of link somewhere. There needs to be someone who's bridging the gap between these sort of underprivileged sort of children who have all the things that we would want in maybe like a football, like resilience and the technical ability and all these things. You need to have somebody there who's going to be able to bridge that gap to sort of bring them to that sort of elite level. So I think that would be, be a very important one as well. But yeah, I think it's hard to say the most important one because I think they're all kind of linked in different ways and there's some that, are, some that help bring out others. But yeah, as, as an answer, I think maybe that, the learning environments and how they are learning, I think is obviously an important one in the book. That might be the, the cage street football type thing. But having that community spirit and that sort of overarching culture can help bring that bring that to the fore. And again, that's not, you know, if we talk about that, so there might be a tennis hotbed somewhere and their culture is for tennis kind of thing. You know, it, I think that's how you may, might sort of branch out to other sports. Excellent. Um as I've already said, you draw upon so much research in order to explain a view and also justify it. There is a part of the book where 
to me at least, you suggest that there is more that you could have used. Um, that, does this mean that there is more to come from you in this area? And, and secondly, what research findings surprised you the most? Cool. So I think there is, I mean, as I said, there was four years of research. It, it's hard to pack all that into, into sort of one book. Yeah. So I think that there is more that, Right. There's more to this that, like, yeah, that I sort of have discovered. Um, whether that goes into another book, I'm, I'm not too sure yet, or in the sort of same area. But even throughout writing it, and then sort of sitting back and rereading it and thinking again, more ideas of of emerged that I've thought, okay, well, this may be linked with this, or this could help. And as I said, I'd, I'd be willing to to help academies and clubs in these areas to, to sort of link these things together and see how they can learn from these hotbeds and, and, make, and make a change. In terms of which was the the, the biggest one, maybe, or the, the most sort of rewarding or interesting, <clears throat> I think that's, it, it, it's tough because they, they, they were all very interesting to learn about it and research it and discover. I think that, like, for example, so in, in Chapter 2 where I talk about the world hotbeds, it was really good to sort of dive into those places and, and look at those and, and research those. And then obviously to, to read the academic type stuff it was obviously interesting and, and speak to people who are actually there in South London and these footballers and coaches. That was obviously very interesting. But I think the most interesting thing was when it all started linking together. So I don't think there's any one bit that has sort of massively stood out to me, but when they all started linking together to sort of real world sort of theory almost, that's when it really started to get interesting. You sort of started to see, okay, wow, this is working, this is working, this is happening. And, you know, the pieces of the puzzle started coming together. And that's when I sort of got really excited about things. Excellent. Um, by the way, I'm going to tell you my favourite cited research that you use, and it's about the, um, is, is it Rosetans or Rosetans? I, I won't spoil it for anyone, but for me it was such a good example and used in a really almost a perfect way in that in that bit of the, in that bit of the book and it was just it was great so um, you know well done for that um another question does every generation require a you can do it to moment yeah that, that's a that's a tough one potentially because obviously a generation's got to start somewhere and maybe one might just 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 spring out um, there does seem to be that that helps to have that as a role model as a bit of a breaking the, the glass ceiling almost. It, it obviously does help it to have that you can do a two moment in terms of the confidence and just the self-belief to be able to go and do things that maybe you thought were impossible beforehand. I think I speak about it in the book about the sort of four minute mile, these sort of things. And, and there's obviously tennis, golf examples. I think it really helps to just bring that out of, of, of the generation that if they have a you can do a two moment, it almost brings everything alive. Like I said before, with having these things sort of bubbling away underneath, all the talent could be there, everything could be there ready, and they just need someone to make that first step to allow it to sort of really blossom, I think would be the, the idea there. Excellent. Um, a brilliant quote that I do want to share is, um, and I quote, as a school of football, the street is the greatest and most prestigious institution, end quote. Uh, bring your knowledge of writing the book and for how long can football in this country rely on hotbeds and street football for talent to emerge bearing in mind what we've already talked about in terms of the academies um is street football still here it's still there for us are we still going to be able to 
pluck these young children from these um from from street football. What's your view on that? I think it's a, it's a tough one, Mike, and uh, I <laughs> hope it's not. But you worry that street football is maybe sort of on a decline slightly. I think as a, there's, there's problems facing sort of children at the moment in to play street football. I think you know safety of areas or more cars. I think I mentioned it in the book. Just a general sort of little thing like that, which somebody might not even think about, but. If, if the streets are covered in cars, you can't play street football. Mm. Um, hopefully, the, the culture of street football always remains in that sort of appreciation of skill, um, showboating, doing all these things. Hopefully, that all will always be here, which I think it will be, and I hope it will be. But whether they actually go out and play football in the streets, I think is, is another matter. Obviously, there's obvious problems with children on Xboxes and Playstations constantly these days and not wanting to be outside. But hopefully street football will always be there. And I think in these areas, like South London and the Cajun, having that accessibility to facilities, I think that street football will always be there. And hopefully it will grow and I don't know, maybe the book will be a bit of a, a reemergence of street football, we hope. What what might hearten us is um I mean I I, I work in a school, I'm a teacher at a school at a boys' school, and um, while it's not obviously street football, break time, lunch time, I, I regularly see games of 20 versus 20. Um, and it, it is street football, but in, in an enclosed space, in a safe space. So if that's still around, if that's still happening, then hopefully we've still got that element, even if because of the safety things that you talk about, because of the lack of um, opportunities and the distractions they have, that it may not happen after school, but hopefully it's still happening during those um, moments at school. But what we might lose is certainly when I did it, you know, go home, at, get home at four, play until nine. You know, <laughs> And I know that you mentioned it in the book as well. So I hope we don't lose it. But but yeah, I think, you know, the whole game, the whole aspect of it, 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 it does evolve. And I guess that's where the, the, the academy system can, can help in that regard. Um, nearly there, Callum, some quick questions, uh, some quick answers, some quick questions, hopefully. Um, which part of the book did you find most rewarding to write about and why? Good question. I think I would have to say the community outreach chapter in terms of being rewarding. I think it was it was so good to be able to share the story of the Kinetic Foundation and, and Lambeth Tigers and sort of celebrate what the work that they have done. I think that was quite rewarding um, myself to, to do that and that felt good to be able to share there their story and all the fantastic work that they do. And yeah, I mean, just a shout out to those guys at Kinetic and Lambeth Tigers for, for all that they're doing and, you know, creating good young people as well as footballers, which I think is really important in, the, in those communities and giving the, the children something to aspire to maybe. No, that's a good shout. That's a, that's, that's a good one. Um, Pitch Publishing, um, which publishes the book, um, their, their covers are great at the moment. Um, did you have any say in your design? Which is there. Yes, I, I, I did kind of design it, so okay. I picked I picked the picture, the sort of background of the yeah. sort of brick wall with the gold painted on. I wanted something that represented the street and sort of maybe evoked some sort of feelings and nostalgia, maybe of sort of street football when you were younger. I spoke with Duncan Colner, who is the designer, and we we spoke about having players on the front in sort of a graffiti um, kind of kind of way there was a bit of back and forth on how that would work and which players to pick yeah, but 
yeah, super happy with the with the with the end product. I think it it looks quite good. I was I was very pleased. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, again, it evokes memories from where I grew up. So the estate <clears> that I grew up on, there is a wall just like that with a painted gold exactly like that, <laughs> um, not the red paint, but um, yeah, it's that. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Um, finally, um, what's next for you, Callum? Any new projects you can tell us about? Uh, I think there's, there's always this question of will a second book happen at the moment it's maybe an idea form and we will see if, if a second book will happen might be on, on the, in the same um, realm i'm not too sure but i'm not an author by sort of any stretch that's not my career kind of thing i, I i'm not a sort of a career author i obviously work in in, in youth football with sort of youth footballers i offer sort of psychology support to those i also work in, in recruitment in with the first team club so yeah, I think sort of continue on that path, and yeah, I think I, as I sort of mentioned earlier, I would be more than happy to start to go into to clubs to really help them kind of learn the lessons from from these hotbeds and the research that I've done to hopefully take them to the, to the next level and see how they can maybe implement some of the things that I have learned and discovered and, and unearthed from these hotbeds to take them into their clubs, their academies, to hopefully boost their chance of creating talent and maybe move a talent from the academy into the first team. Callum, would you, I mean, would you ever, you know, think about um, publishing your research, you know, extensive research in a more academic way rather than the book form, just something for, I don't know, a, a sort of a different audience to, to see in a different mm -hmm. way? Or would that be, would that go hand in hand with what you'd want to do by going into clubs? Yeah, I think this is something I've discussed with somebody else that whether it would lend itself to sort of a more academic piece of research, whether that would be a, a PhD or something in, in the future, which my background is really academic and I would always maybe see myself maybe going into that in, in, in the future, whether that's right now, I'm not too sure whether that would um, go into that right now. But I do think there's maybe something there in it in terms of an academic piece of research. Obviously, it might need more research uh, to, to, to go into that. But I think that that would be for interesting for sure, and yeah, whether that sort of ties in with how we'll be able to help clubs and other people, we'd have to we'd have to see. But I think that would definitely be maybe a good idea for some time in the future. I did say that might be that was the last question. I've got one more. As we're close to the World Cup, who's going to win the World Cup? I'll have to say England. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. yeah, my heart says England. Whether whether it'll happen or not, I'm not too sure. But it should be interesting, nonetheless. Definitely, definitely. Callum, that's it. Thank you for your time and for your book. Um, do you want to tell our viewers how they can interact with you on social media? Yes, of course. So firstly, thank you for having me. And thank you for reading the book and, and the kind words on the book. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cal Murray. And you can find the book on Twitter at, at SITW underscore book. Uh, so yeah, you can find me there. Instagram, I think is, I'll just check what my Instagram is for the, for the book. Is um, something in the water underscore book a bit different for the Instagram? Something in the water underscore book. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, you can catch me on, on those. And yeah, please interact, guys. And yeah, if you get the book, send in your thoughts. Thank you. Just, what, just a quick line on me about the book. As I said right at the outset, found it really, really interesting. Um, obviously, South London is something that's close to my heart, you know, given that I was grew up there. But for anyone that 
likes lots and lots of research that justifies a, a narrative, justifies a view, but looks at where where football came from, where it potentially could go to, and how these football hotbeds have come about, then do read the book. It's a really, really interesting read. I mean, I got through it very, very quickly. I am a fast reader, but this one, I, I, generally, I couldn't put it down. So, so thanks, Callum. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been Mike Pieri. You've been listening to Shoot the Defence. You can find us on Twitter, at Shoot the Defence, and my Twitter is at Del Pieri. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.